Um, we have been, as a church, from the beginning of the year, um, going through the Gospel of Mark, and statistically, of course, looking at the life of Jesus from um, this scribe named Mark who wrote this biography of Jesus. And we are on schedule to complete in this study of the book of Mark by um, the end of November. And so that's the plan, and it's been a wondrous journey looking at the life of Jesus, being reminded of who he is. Um, and so this morning we continue that. And so Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 44, and follow along as I read. And by the way, if you don't have a physical copy of a Bible, we have some Bibles to your right. You can grab that and use that as much as you want, yeah? All right. Here we go. Mark chapter 12, um, 35 to 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. 37, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Verse 38, and in, this te- and in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor, um, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, or she had to live on. Let's pray. God, we look to you now, and we look to you throughout our time together to open up the eyes of our hearts so that we may understand who you are with the hopes that the more we know you, the more we grow to love you, and the more we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, we are relying on you and depending on you to do what we can never do in and of ourselves, and that is to bring about a delight and a desire for you that changes the way we think and live. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And so, um, if you was with us last week, um, Sam McCrane, really good friend of mine, done a great job um, looking at the great commandment. Before that, um, we looked at Jesus and the fact that Jesus has been in the temple all along. And so currently, Jesus is in the temple and what's been happening is that the religious leaders who have become his opponents have been just pestering him 
pestering, do you guys understand that word? Pestering him with questions um, in order to trap him and trick him. And so what they've been doing is trying to get Jesus to say or do something they can use against him. And so we know the story, okay, eventually that's going to happen and Jesus is going to get arrested, he's going to be severely punished and he's going to be sentenced to death by crucifixion. And so currently they've been asking questions and what's about to happen here um, is that they, um, the tables are going to turn. But before that, look at, um, go back to your Bibles actually. Go back to your Bibles and look at um, Mark chapter 12 verse 34. And this was after Jesus talked about what the great commandment was and everything. Look at verse chapter, Mark chapter 12 verse 34. It says, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the part I want us to zero in on. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Wow, Jesus has been killing it, right? (laughs) Literally, they've tried everything they can to try and trap him with all these difficult theological and political questions, and they just have not been able to get him to do what they want him to do. And so they just left it, and they were like, we are done with this guy, right? We're moving on, okay? Um, and, and now, so Jesus is still in the temple um, and he's surrounded by religious leaders and he's surrounded by a growing crowd. And what he does next is he turns the tables. He begins to ask them questions. And the point of his questions are to reveal his identity to them even more. And so look back at verse 35. It says, and as Jesus taught, in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Okay, stop there. The scribes um, were the intellectuals and theologians of that day. They were experts when it came to the Hebrew scriptures. They were not only known for their superior knowledge of the scriptures, but they were also credited to with figuring out that the Christ, which is the Messiah, was the son of David. Okay, this was a big deal because up to this point, there was widespread belief that the Messiah and the son of David were two different people. Okay, but the scribes, after many years of studying the scriptures and research, they stumbled upon a theological goldmine, and that was the Messiah, the long awaited king, savior of Israel, was also a physical descendant of the great King David. Boom, aha moment, light bulbs went on. And so they were accredited accredited to figuring that out. After this discovery, the scribes thought they knew just about everything there was to know about the Messiah. But the thing is, their understanding was incomplete. And so what Jesus is about to do next is challenge their current view of the Messiah so that he can open their eyes to an attribute of the Messiah they've been blind to. 
And to do this, he begins by quoting from a well-known psalm, which was a psalm all about the Messiah, right? He says in verse 36, look at verse 36. He says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my God, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet, right? This psalm, which is found in Psalm 110, is by far the most popular Old Testament psalm, okay, passage found in the New Testament. Here, David, the king, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is basically saying, saying that the Christ, his descendant, was his Lord or master. Jesus then asks a thought-provoking question. Look at verse 37. He says, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. If the Christ is a descendant of David, then it doesn't make sense at all that David would refer to him as his Lord or his master. Doesn't make sense. This must have been... This doesn't make sense to those people in that culture at that time. Why? Because Jesus lived in, a, in an honor and um, shame culture. Sons were expected to honor their father and mother. And so, um, for a father um, to... Uh, so, sorry. And so, a father would never call his son, in this case, great, 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 great grandson, his Lord. It was unheard of. But in Psalm 110, King David, who many Jews consider to be the greatest king in Israel's history, is found calling the Messiah his descendant the Lord. And so, at this moment, as soon as Jesus pitched that thought-provoking question to them, this question hung in the air with the scribes unable to provide a legit answer. The scribes may not have an answer, but what we do know is that in this moment of history, Jesus has just revealed something about his identity that most of us in this room knew all along. And that is the Christ, the Messiah, okay? And just as a side note, um, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name, right? We always associate kind of Christ, Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It's a title like president or prime minister, right? And it's a title the Jews gave to this long-awaited king of Israel. And so at this point, Jesus is revealing that the Christ was more than the son of David, right? He was also the son of God. That is God in human flesh. In revealing the true identity of the Christ to the scribes, Jesus was at the same time unveiling his true identity to us. Jesus is more than a carpenter turned preacher who gained an enormous following and helped people in need. The all-important truth and message Jesus wants to get across to the religious leaders and to us 
is that 2,000 years ago, and think about this, people, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the dusty streets of Israel, he was the embodiment of the creator God. Simply put, Jesus is God. Rico Tice, a British author and Anglican minister, says that when we look at Jesus, the guessing games about God stop. The God of the Bible is not someone we dreamed up. No, God has revealed himself to us. God has shown us what he's like by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so the question is, in your opinion, who is Jesus? Like the scribes, do you have an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is? Okay? Is Jesus your homeboy? Right? They're not selling those t-shirts anymore, are they? Do you guys remember the t-shirt? Am I like old now? Right? Yeah, Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. And so the question is, is, do you view Jesus as your homeboy? Is Jesus your therapist or is Jesus like Madame Teresa, a kind and compassionate person to you? Is he to you an insightful man who said some awesome and maybe tweetable things? Or to you, is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? So who is Jesus? Mark is showing us that Jesus is God's Son with the same power and authority as God and that he is God's only chosen King. And if this is who Jesus truly is right now, in this room, if Jesus is God, creator, who, who walked this earth and died and rose again so that you may have life and have it more abundantly and all of that, if this is truly who Jesus is and he's alive today and working in the lives of so many people, if Jesus is who he is, then the question is, how have you been relating to him? And how you relate to Jesus has a lot to do with who you say that he is. And at this moment, in the temple, surrounded by these Jewish religious leaders and a growing crowd, after dropping this huge um, riddle, theological bomb on them, right? Jesus says nothing more to the scribes about this or doesn't say anything. He doesn't even answer the question. He just lets it hung in the air and allows them to process it for themselves. And as they do, as they do, he interrupts them with a, more, with a warning against their self-serving lifestyle. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And so back then it wasn't hard 
to spot a scribe because the scribes would be wearing this long, white, linen, flowy robe. <laughs> I could just imagine it. It would have got so dirty back then. Um, linen, flowy robe. And that's what they wore. And they dressed, they were dressed to impress. They loved to be clothed in this way because it was another way to let everybody know how spiritual and how wealthy they were. They also had an unhealthy obsession with greetings in the marketplaces. When they entered the market, um, people rose to their feet, okay, and addressed them using titles such as rabbi and master. Um, They were all about this. They were obsessed with the fame and celebrity status their position brought. Verse 36 lets us know that in the synagogues and at feasts, they made sure they were seated in the VIP section. The scribes did not only have an unhealthy obsession with honor, verse 40 reveals a more sinister side or part to their lives. Look at verse 40. Look at that. First part of verse 40, it says, the scribes devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. To their shame, the scribes abused their position. They were guilty of devouring and devouring is swallowing or eating up the properties and um, wealth of widows. They were greedy for more money and material positions no matter what the cost was for the weak, vulnerable and desperate. As we get this brief kind of sketch of the lifestyles of the scribes, it's easy for us to read this and only see how it applies to abusive church leaders. And it absolutely applies. It just does. And if you're here and you have been a victim of abuse from the hands of church leaders, I just want to say I am sorry. And I just want to say that the pain and the grief you have experienced as a result of that God grieves with you and he absolutely hates that. That is why um, in verse 41, um, in verse 41, it it says this. um, No, in verse 40, it's when it talks about the scribes devouring widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, it ends with they will receive the greater condemnation, meaning those who are using their positions in the church to, um, um, for their own personal gain and for self-serving means and all of that, they will receive a greater condemnation. That is what Jesus is saying. But like I said, it's easy for us to look and see the application with church leaders who use their position for personal enrichment and to take advantage of other people, and they love honor, and they serve in order to get attention. It's easy for us to do that, but what we must do is remember that the same sinful motives and heart issues that led the scribes to these awful actions 
exists in all of us. And as I was studying this, I'm a church leader. I'm like, gosh, <laughs> right? God help me because I can see how in my own heart and in my own life, I tend to do things in order to get attention and honor and everything like that. And so my question to you and my question for us is, why do you do what you do? Why do you serve in the church? Why do some of you get up super early on Sunday mornings, okay, to set up sound equipment, chairs, tables, drinks, baked goods? Why do some of you show up most Sundays to serve our families through the kids' ministry? On a personal note for me, why do I wake up early hours of the morning most days to pray and study for my sermon? Why do we do what we do? What's the motive behind our Christian service? Why do you show up on Sunday? Sunday to church? Why do you um, attend community group during the week? Like the scribes, are we obsessed with the honor and recognition and praise that comes with serving Jesus through his church? Are we addicted to the feeling we get when someone praises us for doing something hard or something well. There's nothing wrong with encouragement, right? As a church, we want to be a church where when we see someone thriving, when we see someone flourishing in their gifts, we encourage them. We want to be that. But as one author said, and listen to this, guys, enjoy, enjoying encouragement is fine, but seeking it is not. Jesus not only condemned the scribes for their hypocrisy, he warns us against serving to impress people. He warns us, as, he warns us against serving in order for, um, to, to, to gain recognition for ourselves. And he labels this attitude hypocrisy. Matthew 6 um, and, and I want you guys to turn there, actually. Let's go to Matthew 6, and we're going to read verses 1 to 2. Um, it's such a fascinating verse because it has a lot of parallels with what Jesus was um, kind of warning the people of when it came to the scribes, and it kind of focuses on us. And so Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 2. It says... And Jesus is talking to us, okay? It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. I don't know what that means, but we don't sound trumpets when we give. Um, I can understand the application. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, you have received 
their rewards. And so what Jesus is warning us against is the whole idea of practicing our righteousness so that people may see and praise us for it. And I love what he goes on to say. He is like, you're going to receive your reward. <laughs> you are, right? People are going to love you. People are going to think you're awesome, all of those things. But that's all you're going to get. Go back to Mark 12. And as you do, listen to what one author said. He said it well. He goes, when it comes to Christian service, the first place to look is what is going on in our hearts, not what we are doing with our hands. And so why do you do what we do? Why should we do what we do. And Jesus helps us with that, with the next section. After condemning the self-serving lifestyle of the scribes, Jesus uses the actions of a poor widow to help us understand what it looks like for us to display self-sacrifice, service, and total commitment to the kingdom of God. Look at this. Look at verse 41. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury, and watch the people putting money into the offering box. And so after spending some time teaching, what's happening here, guys? Jesus takes a seat opposite the treasury and begins to watch people put money into the offering box. Here, Jesus is people watching, guys. <laughs> people watching is an odd thing. I did some research about people watching online, and it talked about how in Europe, especially in our current generation, like um, people watching is becoming kind of a craze where there is like websites just dedicated to how to people watch really well and like there's this whole thing where it's becoming a hobby that people do and so instead of taking a book to the park to read or your iPhone to the park to look at, people actually go and sit down and people watch. It's unbelievable and so that's what's happening. You are being watched right now. I'm practicing some of the things I learned from that website on you now as I teach. I can't multitask. Moving on. The treasury, the treasury was a high security and restricted area located within the temple. And in this area, there was an offering box where people would come and give their offering. This part of the temple was really busy. It was as busy as a bank because people were coming in and out. And the reason has to do with the fact that modern technology was just not available there, right? Back then, they didn't have mobile devices with apps they could use to make donations, right? They weren't, they, there was no online giving, there was no postal service, so you could kind of send a check to the church and everything, you couldn't do that. And so the only way people could give to God's work is by traveling to the temple and be because of this, the temple had become kind of a central bank of the nation. In fact, the person who oversaw and administered the temple treasury was one of the most important officials in Israel. And so as Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched people give their offerings, what did he observe? Look at the end of verse 41. It says, many rich people put in large sums of money. 
Okay, that's what he saw. He also saw something that grabbed his attention and piqued his interest. And what did he see? Look at verse 42. He saw a poor widow come and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And so Jesus notices this woman. She's described as a poor widow. She goes, we don't know her name. Um, and she's a poor widow. And what this means is that she has no husband to provide for her, no job to sustain her, no benefits whatsoever. And because of her current status, the most valuable thing she owned right here, right now, were these two pennies. Yet, this is crazy. Mind blown. She only has these two pennies, most valuable possessions. What is she willing to do? Give it all. Put it in the offering box and get rid of all. I was thinking about this and I was like, if that was me, I would keep one penny. I I would. Like, (laughs) I would. I wouldn't put both of them in. Or, I mean, the only amount of money. Okay, let's just think of this this way, right? I have $10, okay? I have $10, and this is my only $10, and I'm just struggling in life. And then a crazy thought comes in my mind because I've just kind of studied this verse, and I'm like, I'm going to give my $10 to the church. That's all I'm going to do, right? It's just crazy what's happening here. And so as Jesus observes this woman, Jesus then looks up, calls his disciples to himself, and says to them in verse 43. Look at what he says to them. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. It gets even more weird, right? I'm sure the disciples are like, what do you mean she's putting more than all of these rich people? Doesn't make sense, Jesus. And then Jesus offers this insight. He says, look at this carefully, guys. Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And this is precisely why this poor widow has given more than everyone else. The affluent and the rich and the wealthy gave to God what they could spare, but the poor widow gave all she had, and because of this, she had put in more than anyone else. Her giving was pleasing to God, not because of the amount, but because of the level of sacrifice. From the life of this poor widow, this is what Jesus is reminding us of this morning. He is reminding us of his call for us if we're his disciples to a life of radical generosity. As a church, Jesus is calling us to a life of radical generosity. Not just with our money, but with our time and talents. We must be willing to give God, all that we have, not just because everything we have belongs to him, and that's true, everything we have belongs to him, but because he gave his most prized possession for us. Through Jesus, God laid down his life for us so that we may give our life for him. God doesn't ask us to do 
something he's not already done. God commands us to give sacrificially because he gave sacrificially. God calls us to radical generosity. Why does he do that? Because he has and continues to be radically generous to us. Amen? You can say amen, right? He is good to us and he is radically generous to us. And so the question is, how are you being challenged to a life of radical generosity? Okay, you don't need to answer it now, but begin to reflect on this question. In what way is God calling you to radical generation? In what ways is God asking you to give sacrificially? Yesterday, I was at home most of the day preparing the sermon. And our gardener, who's called Tio, shows up. And Tio's an interesting individual because he's never on time and he always says he's going to come do landscaping and gardening one day, but he never shows up and keeps extending his time. And so when he finally came, I was like, oh my gosh, Tio, we've been trying to get you here in the last three weeks. Thanks. It's so good to see you. Right? And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And that's like my best kind of Mexican-American accent. It's just such a weird thing for me to do. But he's like, you know, just, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, homie, all of that. And he's like, just, yeah, my, I, I am on my own today. And my friend who helps me is in Mexico and he wasn't able to get here. And so I've been on my own for weeks. And he tells me that. And I'm like, cool, it's so good. I'm glad you're here. And he starts to do the work, okay? <laughs> and I see how much plants he's cut. I mean, he's cut a lot, and there's big piles everywhere. And during that same time, I was getting my dinner ready, okay? And a thought came in my mind, because I'd been studying this, and I was like, I should show him generosity. I should go and offer to help him pick up all these cuttings and put it in the trash. But I looked at my dinner plate and went, I'm about to eat. And if I go and help him, I'm going to get all dirty and I'm going to have to come home, have a shower before I eat, and my food is going to get cold. And so I began to rationalize it. And so I finally made a decision. And I wished I could tell you guys... that I went out and helped him, but I didn't. <laughs> At seminary, they always told us, never be the hero of your own story. <laughs> but I was challenged in that moment. I was given an opportunity to show radical generosity and in all of our lives, in all of our times, we are going to be challenged to be radical with our time, with our talents, with our money. And at times, we're going to rationalize and give ourselves 10, we might even go on YouTube and type in 10 reasons not to help the gardener while you're going to eat and all of that, right? That <laughs> might happen. And so my question is, you will be challenged. You will be given opportunities to be generous with your time, with your talent, and with your money. And I pray that as a church, we become radically generous. 
Christmas, okay? And so after giving all she had to God, the poor widow walked away empty-handed, okay? And so the questions were, how was she going to make it? How was she going to make ends meet? But I love Matthew 6 again. There's a kind of latter part of Matthew 6. Note it down. Go and read it. But it talks about how if we focus on serving God and really focusing on the kingdom, he will give us all that we need. In 1890, in Philadelphia, the Eagles, a poor little girl stood sobbing outside a small church. She was devastated and in tears because she had been turned away from the Sunday school because it was too crowded. The pastor found out about this and went to his kids' ministry workers and said to them, hey, I am giving a weekly place in this crowded room for this little girl. The girl was so touched that night in bed, she began to think and dream about ways she could help other children who had no place in Sunday school. Sadly, two years later, she was found dead in one of the rundown buildings um, she lived in. As her little body was being moved, her small little shabby purse was found in her room. Inside was found 57 cents with a handwritten note by her that said, this is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. She had saved for two years for this project and had collected 57 cents. The pastor heard about this, broke down in tears, took the purse and the note to the, you know, to the church the following Sunday and challenged the church um, to build a bigger Sunday school facilities. And that is what they did. They were able to do that. But word of this girl's gift and life spread. And two years later, a real estate agent shows up at the pastor's office. And what he does is he offered a huge piece of land in Philadelphia to build a 3,000-seat auditorium for the church, a school, a hospital, and a huge Sunday school facility for the children of Philadelphia. The pastor went and had a look at the land being offered and said, we could never pay for this. This is ridiculously too expensive for a church of our size. But the agent replied, I will sell it to you for 57 cents. <laughs> as you give sacrificially, as you practice radical generosity, trust that God will not only provide for your every need, but trust that if you do, and if you knew all the ways he's using, all you give him, it would absolutely blow your mind. King's Cross Church, 
Let us daily ask God to open our eyes and awaken our hearts and stir up a spirit of radical generosity within us. Let us give, remembering that the eyes of Christ are upon us. He still sees exactly what each person gives and knows exactly how much is left behind. Above all, let us give as the disciples of a crucified Savior who gave himself for us on the cross. Freely we have received. Let us freely give. Let's pray. God, so much we've been exposed to this morning. Thank you for revealing to us the true identity of Jesus Christ. Thank you for beginning to help us become aware of our hearts and why we do what we do. And thank you for challenging us to radical generosity. Father, we want to be sacrificial in our giving, being reminded that everything we have belongs to you anyway, trusting that you will provide for our every need and trusting that, man, the little we give will be multiplied to impact many. But most importantly, let us give because you have been gracious to give sacrificially for us in your son Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen